Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Ken Chitwood. I'm a pastor. I'm also a doctoral student and professor of religious studies at the University of Florida, where I'm a fellow with the, global, uh, the Center for the Study of Global Islam. All of that makes me sound like somewhat of an expert, but here this morning, I'm going to talk to you about Micah, and I'm going to talk to you about Muslims. Now, I know that as soon as I say the word Islam or I say the word Muslims, that brings up all types of stuff, thoughts and images and, and emotions, and that's even more so in our current supercharged atmosphere of, of fear and, and of suspicion and of anger. And, and I know that maybe several of you have already turned me off this morning, like, come on, who's this guy? It's not even from here. He doesn't get this. Does he even know what's going on? Does he read the news? I mean, Nigeria or Somalia or Afghanistan or Libya or Syria, I could rattle off all these different countries. Come on, this guy doesn't get it. I promise you, I'm, I'm not naive. There is violence and then there is persecution. And there is bloodshed in the name of religion. I know that. I'm aware of it. I don't deny it. And I know that what I'm going to share this morning might be difficult for, for you. It, it's always difficult for me. And that's okay. But in some ways, even though it should be maybe uncomfortable, it should also be refreshing. Indeed, it can be especially refreshing given our times. We live in an age of unease. We feel on the verge of economic and political, social and cultural crises. We face fear sometimes on a daily basis. I'm sure some of you have had this fear or this panic or this anxiety even as you send your children out the front door in the morning or as you go to the mall or head to the airport or even when you get online. You don't know what's going on out there. You don't know if something is coming for you. And we see all these things on the news and we feel all these things in our hearts and it's hard. And if ours is a time of destruction, of violence, of war, of feelings, of impending judgment and fear and uneasiness, well, so too was the prophet Micah's times. You see, 8th century Judea was a time of stupendous upheaval. Armies were moving upon the nation of Israel to the north, and the specter, the ghost of Assyrian forces sweeping in from the east to destroy Jerusalem and force the people of Micah's country into exile was just on the historical horizon. And into this context, the countryside prophet Micah warned the kingdom of Israel of their impending judgment because they had not been faithful to God's covenant. But at the same time, he warned the southern kingdom, Judah, of their impending judgment because they had not been faithful to God's covenant. You see, the southern kingdom, they thought God would only judge that other nation. You know, those people. But they were wrong. And Micah reminded them, he warned them, that they were just as guilty as Israel. And so to both nations, he proclaimed that God ruled above all. He controlled the destinies of nations and peoples, of empires and tribes, of all people on earth. And through it all, Micah promised that God's justice and God's love were being delivered. No matter how distant such things seemed amidst war and turmoil, uncertainty and fear, 
Micah doubled down in declaring that God's future restoration was coming. Wow. It's a good thing our day and age is nothing like that, right? You've never had a moment where you've wondered if God is at work in this world. You've never had a moment of fear or the thought that judgment was sure to come soon. That's good. So you can just ignore the rest of this message. I mean, no, of course not. Our age is strikingly similar, different in important ways, but also still very similar. There are tons of parallels. And so it would behoove us to lean in when Micah writes, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does God require of you? That you act justly and that you love mercy and you walk humbly with your God. In other words, God's already made it clear to us how to live in line with his will, to do what is fair and just to our neighbor, to be compassionate and loyal in our love, and to not take ourselves seriously, but to take God and his work seriously. Let those words about justice and mercy and humility just kind of wash over you for a moment. And I don't know, when they wash over me, they they start to wreck me pretty quick. When I think about my lack of love and mercy towards others, or my lack of concern for the justice of others, or my very large ego and lack of humility. It wrecks me in particular when I think of Dawood and the Muslim American Society Mosque in Katy, Texas. When Dawood and his fellow Muslims moved into the neighborhood in Katy, One of their neighbors, their immediate neighbor, his name is Craig, he's a Christian, decided that the best way to welcome them to the neighborhood was to start to hold publicized pig races every single Friday afternoon when they would gather the trailers there on their new property for prayer. Not only that, but Craig decided it would be a good idea to sell tickets to some of his friends at church and in the community so that 300 people would show up every Friday afternoon, cheer on the pigs, offend their new Muslim neighbors, and yell all types of things at them. That was back in 2006, and now, over a decade later, things have calmed down a bit, but when you drive up to the mosque that's now fully built, and has contributed to the community in uh, amazing ways, uh, in terms of outreach for kids and education and families at risk, you still see signs of hostility, literally signs of hostility. There's blue and white signs with crosses and stars of David, and clear signs that say, Muslims, you're not welcome here. Recent studies from Georgetown University's Bridge Initiative or Pew Research Center have found that the U.S. public's views of Muslims are more negative than any other group. Muslims are the most reviled people in our nation. And that's true also, LifeWay research found, of Protestant churches. That's you and that's me. And Protestant pastors. That's you and that's me and that's you. We don't like them. And so... Where's the justice and compassion and humility from Christians towards these neighbors of ours? I mean, survey data only tells part of the story. Every day, Muslims bear the brunt of the fear of them in flesh and blood. And if we think about it, if Christians want justice and mercy and humility to be extended toward any or all, we may need to start with ourselves and then our Muslim neighbors. And that's where Micah comes in to help us. So what does it look like to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly when it comes to our Muslim neighbors. Well, when it comes to justice, we should defend their rights. We should seek to do what is fair and just 
to and for our neighbor and realize that this is a very difficult time for many in our community. We should recognize that there are people in this country who have negative feelings about Muslims and about Islam, and we should see how these negative feelings are being used to justify the mistreatment of Muslims. And so we should let our Muslim neighbors know that we do not agree with those who mistreat them, and we should let them know we are here for them, to let them know that they are loved, that they are cherished, and they are valued members of our community. We should offer to be their allies, not their benevolent overlords, but to truly and sincerely care for their well-being and as their allies, promise to do everything we can to stand up for their rights and ensure that they are treated with the dignity and the respect that they deserve. Part of that dignity and respect could be reaching out with compassionate friendship. In other words, loving mercy and loving kindness. For followers of Christ, our identity is not wrapped up in our culture, our creed, our country, or our carefully constructed vision of the religious other, whoever they may be. Instead, our identity is founded in Christ and Christ alone. Indeed, it's an essential aspect of Christian faith that we, who were once far off, Paul writes, strangers, aliens, and outsiders, have now been brought near in Jesus. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in Christ, who is our peace. And so looking to the example of Jesus who sat with Samaritans, ate with tax collectors, and became friends with many other groups who ranked low on first century public opinion polls, Christians are called to take up Jesus' cue and pursue radical relationships in the face of fear. Indeed, in such an environment of hate and suspicion, friendships can toss the world on its head. See, the problem with fearing others and, and being a Christian that fears others is that it forces us to pursue a different set of questions about safety and security and persecution and not about values of Christ like hospitality and compassion and faithfulness. Because when, when we're preoccupied with our own safety, it removes any ability to see the humanity and the dignity in the situation and plight of many Muslims throughout the world. And so I believe it's time that churches like yours, churches like mine in Florida, it's time for us to move from a posture of defense to one of hospitality, to foster peacemaking in the fertile soil of relationships. Because the move to eradicate fear has to be 100% relational. And it may be as simple Maybe just as simple as your Muslim neighbor or your coworker or, or the person you know just around the corner or, or the mosque down the street that you get together, and I know this doesn't sound all that crazy, but you just get together for a meal. There are multiple organizations across the U.S. misunderstanding Amanda's Plate, Dinner with My Muslim Neighbor, who are advancing the cause of peace by encouraging Christians and Muslims to get together to eat. Let me tell you a story. I... Um, I do this often. I get together for a meal with my Muslim friends. And one time I took out my friend who is a Hafiz. He's memorized the entirety of the Quran from, from front to back. He's, a, he's an Islamic legal scholar. He studied at Al-Azhar University in Cairo, which is like the Oxford University of the Muslim world. He's a Muslim's Muslim, you know? And we went out to dinner. We did this often in Gainesville. Went to this Chinese place, by the way. Happy Chinese New Year yesterday. Fantastic. You're the rooster. I'm a rat, but you probably already guessed that. 
So I went out to dinner with him, and I'm the type of guy that when I eat my food, I want to share it with others. Like, I'm the annoying guy who wants to share with others, right? Like, I'm the guy who takes a picture of it, posts it up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or sends you a Snapchat of it, and forces you to look at my food. I'm horrible, I know. But anyways, if you're eating with me and I like my food, I want you to have it. So we were eating, and we, we had done that before. I'd shared food with him, he'd shared food with me. So I got my plate. It was amazing, because I never order anything bad. And then I said, you need to try this. And he looked at me and said, Ken, no, it's all right. I'll pass. And I was like, why? This stuff is amazing. I'm telling you, it's great. You should try this mushu pork. <laughs> and he said, Ken, no, really, I got plenty of food here. I'm good. I said, no, come on, man, you're being rude. I'm offering you my food, we're friends, why aren't you taking my mushu pork? And they looked me dead in the eyes, he said, Ken, don't know if you remember this, but I'm Muslim, and Muslims don't eat pork. And suddenly I was ready to take my master's degree, my doctoral work, and throw it in the trash, because I'm supposed to be an expert, and here I am offering pork to a Muslim. Wow. I was embarrassed. You know that feeling when a, like, it feels like a rock went from here all the way down to the pit of your stomach, and then it feels like that rock needs to come right up, okay? That was the feeling I had, and I felt horrible. And so he walked away, and, and I paid for the bill, of course, because you don't be rude like that and then not pick up the bill. And he came back, and he sat down, and, and we paid for the bill, and all that was done. It was a relatively awkward meal. And then he said, Ken, I, I want to thank you for earlier. And I said, for what? He says, when you offered me your food. And I was like, no, man, that was horrible. I'm so sorry. He says, no, 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 really. So many people, I mean, in fact, everybody here in the United States, they're always treating me like a Muslim. But when that happened, you forgot that I was a Muslim and you just treated me like your friend. And then he looked at me and he said this, but never do it again. When we walk in a loving kindness and loving mercy with our Muslim neighbor, we don't have to be experts. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to be their friend. We just have to try and get to know them. And sometimes it's not going to work out. They will not be your friend. It's okay. You tried. But sometimes there'll be a friendship that emerges that'll change things. It'll change you. It'll change them. And I know it's crazy to think, but it might even start changing the world around us. Because we also have to walk humbly and not take ourselves too seriously, right? To realize we will make mistakes and that in the end, while we not, may not be able to restore the world perfectly, we may not be able to put it all together. The broken pieces will remain broken in many ways. God is at work. God's mercy and his justice and his love are rolling forth. He is at work in our world. We know that in Jesus Christ, he has redeemed and put back together and reconciled the broken pieces in our lives. He has taken the sin and he has wiped the slate clean and he is doing the same with the world. And when he returns again, things will be as they are meant to be and all people will know him as their loving Lord. And so, as we enter into this work of loving kindness and acting justly, we must rely on God to do the work for us and for Christ to be the reconciler, for Christ to be our peace. And so, my prayer for you, for me, this morning, is that we would hear the wonderful gospel of Jesus resonate in our hearts, in the readings we already heard, in the meal we're about to share, and that we would, in all humility, walk forward with God in acting justly, 
and loving mercy. Amen.